Greetings and welcome to Growing Good Humans. This podcast is designed to empower parents, educators, and college counselors on how to use this crazy college application process as a way to cultivate leaders and citizens. My name is Lara Barr and I will be your host. In each episode, I will be talking with seasoned professionals to gain insights on how we can nurture students in a process that is simple, deliberate, and joyful. Welcome. All right, welcome. My name is Lara Barr and I'm so happy everybody's here with us today. I'm the owner and founder of Emerging Educational Consulting. We provide one-to-one mentorship for parents and students from the beginning to end of the college application process. Our whole mission in life is to grow good humans and we need good humans more than ever. I often say that I wake up every day to raise citizens and I think the best way to raise citizens is to educate. And that is why I started this Power Half Hour, which also is our podcast, our Growing Good Humans podcast. And today I have I mean, I feel like a celebrity, Lee Moore, with us today. And Brad, how do you pronounce your last name, Brad? Uh, Laura, it's Pochard. Pochard, thank you. Yes. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to have Lee introduce herself. Lee is the owner and founder of the More Data Set, is what I call it in my own practice. So I'm going to have you start off by just sharing. Um, how you started, who you are, and then we'll have Brad go after that. Sure. So yeah, I'm glad that everybody's joining us too. Um, I'm Lee Moore, and um, you know my bio is quite um, <clears throat> mixed with, I mean, just tons of different, it's a soup of different life experiences, but I found my um, purpose when I began doing college advising about a dozen years ago. Um, very early on, I uh, began to lean on data because for a long time, data was very, very predictive of admissions decisions, um, particularly when students, uh, it, unfortunately, particularly when there was no financial need, but in general, the, the data was predictive um, all around. And I just it felt very empowered. <laughs> confident. I always had data to stand on in terms of admissions. Um, since COVID, especially, I think that the surge in applications and frankly, an angst and fear um, made me start looking beyond ad- looking at the data beyond admissions. I do think college is more important than college admissions. And my data certainly has a lot of admi- our data has a lot of admissions um, Intel, but it's really meant for people to look and understand the colleges. It's difficult because, you know, colleges aren't paid to show you the good, bad, and the ugly. You know, you've got a lot of brochures. Um, And anyway, so holding on to data, in my opinion, um, looking to data um, guides parents and students to set priorities and stick to them. And I do think that knowledge is power. And um, once you make it less confusing, the whole college search can be a lot more fun. And there's so much data to be seen. And you have t- compiled all of this information. Brad, will you tell us a little bit about yourself in the spirit of data drives decisions and how you fit into this amazing group? Yes, Laura, thank you. And uh, thank you all for, for joining us. It's a pleasure uh, to be here. 
My name is Brad Pochard. I am the president and managing director. I'm very new to more college data. I'm excited and honored and uh, so happy to have um, joined with Lee and her cause with more college data. It's a fantastic uh, resource and tool that I feel uh, very privileged to be a part of. Uh, my background, I have 23 years in college enrollment management. Um, I was director of admissions at my alma mater, Wittenberg University in Ohio and most recently served as AVP for enrollment and Dean of Admissions and Financial Aid at Furman University, which I was there for 15 years. And change is good. This is a new opportunity for me and it's been a wonderful chance for me to uh, get to know Lee, understand her data, um, but also then kind of a new hat for me to continue to in, educate and inform and help um, these are big decisions that students and families are making. It's an educational decision. It's a social decision. It's certainly a financial decision, but the college decision is one of those choices that changes lives. And I'm excited to be a part of it and, and happy to partner with you, Laura, as well. Wow. How, I guess, I don't even know where to begin because there's just the, the, the data set that you all have created offers so many opportunities to dig in deep. How do you see most of the people who are using your data um, access that data to drive decisions? Is it that admissions piece? Is it early decision? Is it like, what are the components and how are you watching counselors use that data set to support their parents? It's, we're still, you know, it just, we just started last year and, um, the so we're still learning and still hearing from people and um i just came out with this newest iteration you know what i think of as oh good busy time of year uh, august september and then i thought oh wait <laughs> counselors have like no time <laughs> to be playing with data that they haven't been introduced to yet um but i, I do think that to be honest, I think that the merit scholar, excuse me, I would say admissions, um, particularly the, like the iterative breakdown between um, early decision, regular decision applic applicants, um, I think that draws a lot of attention, but also the merit scholarship information from the common data sets, which is a labor of love. <laughs> um, you, those are not aggregated anywhere. And um, I do a fair amount of slicing and dicing to kind of show what the reality is in terms of merit scholarships. Yeah. And, and uh, Laura, I just put up a, a quick screenshot of our of our dashboard that, that we have developed. And, you know, this is really taking macro data that colleges are and many times required to submit or it becomes best practice for them to submit their data. Um, and what Lee has done and what more college data has done and what we have then kind of altered a little bit is allowed this macro data, this public data to be inductive data for families to, to allow them to uh, use the data to make good decisions, make good choices, be informed. And so whether that is the college finder that we have that would help college counselors and, and families create a list of colleges based on major, based on earnings, retention, um, class size, um, enrollment size, a variety of different geographic locations to um, our, our snap, uh, snapshot feature that allows them to kind of dig into um, the, the very detailed data that's out there. And again, it is in fact public data, but for, for families and counselors to dig through common data sets or iPads would be uh, very time consuming. And this tool has has really allowed this to be a user-friendly, intuitive tool 
um, that helps helps families and counselors make good make good decisions. You know, I noticed we're toggling between the conversation of families, counselors. When I um, I found out about this data set at a HECA conference, and I was beside myself because my belief is that if I can inform families with accurate data without having to dig through all the common data sets myself, then it really just is simple. It takes the emotions out of it. And, um, but I don't, I got this since it was more for counselors. Are you shifting to providing access for families? You know, Laura, actually, when I founded More College Data, I intended intended for it to be for families. For a long time, I was a one-person shop and made a difficult decision sometime during the past year that, okay, uh, 95% of my purchasers were counselors. Um, and so I just, there was only one of me. Thank goodness that is no longer the case. I've been looking for a boss. I found a boss. Um, but, you know, we are very, right now, we just have the counselor product. Um, I, I don't, you know, it is, it's $299 for a one-year subscription. And, you know, <clears throat> while that is a counselor price, I honestly do think it's still fair um, for a family. I think it's the best $300 you could spend. Um, I don't think people realize how predictable a lot of things are and how you can, I always say that like, I, don't, I wouldn't expect my data to make the final decision. I know feelings come into it and, you know, last minute whims and this and that and the other, but our data should at least help families get to the right campuses before those other things come into play. And, um, you know, I'm still a believer that five or six applications is plenty as long as they're um, the right schools. Um, and um, so anyway, we are open. You know, we will probably be de developing multiple products, but um, I think that we have it set up now um, sufficiently intuitive that you don't need to be. I mean, that I think families can use it just as well as professionals. Just anybody can go on who wants to subscribe. It can be a family. It can be that makes it that makes a ton of sense. I like that. I mean, not everybody can have a college counselor and a lot of people are trying to navigate these decisions. And I think one of the things that upsets me the most, and I know our community, is this idea that rankings are data. And I am so curious what you have to say about this idea of the U.S. News World Report rankings that, you know, number one, number two, number three, and that that actually is something people should be using to drive decisions. And I think it's still pretty nebulous, like who, where that data is coming from, how people are making those decisions and how that impacts families. So what is your all's opinion on the rankings and how people should use those rankings in their decisions? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in maybe. And and I think we might be able to do a whole half hour just on this, Laura. So please feel free to tell me to time out and yeah, move on to the next question. But I'll, I'll try to be as concise as I can because, you know, coming from my background, um, having 23 years on a college campus, um, rankings are extremely important on the college side. Um, they're extremely important to board of trustees. They're extremely important to board members. Um, and to honestly, really the campus, the campus community, faculty, staff and others, there, there's a sense of pride and 
um, and, and in some ways some urgency when it comes to what is our ranking and are we in the top 50? Are we out of the top 100? Are we in this category or that category? Um, and, and so I think that's important for our, our families to know who are listening to this either live or who will eventually listen to this or the college counselors um, who are helping families make decisions. Rankings, um, there's there's every single ranking out there that you could possibly think of. Um, there's there's a ranking for everything. And, and um, oftentimes colleges like to say that we disagree with the methodology of rankings. Um, we don't necessarily like this ranking, but we will be the first then to tout on social media that we are the, the best bargain in the Southeast or you know whatever, whatever ranking it might be. So oftentimes colleges end up in some ways speaking out of both sides of, of their mouth. From a perspective though of, of how are they used, you know, they are in some ways a surrogate for quality. Um, and well, I think they're, excuse me, they're used as a surrogate for quality. I don't think they, I don't think you mean to say they are necessarily, are they? Right. Well, exactly. That's how, that's how the, the, the consumers and, and, you know, kind of the market views them. And I, I think it's important for, for us to know too, that rankings and we'll just use us news and world report for an example could be, could be schemed in some ways by colleges. They, um, spend great lengths of time trying to figure out how to best position themselves and how to uh, leverage the rankings and leverage their decisions that they make. Um, you know, for example, class size. Um, class size was used to be a very important factor in U.S. News and World Report that you would receive certain rankings of prestige if you had classes less than 20. And there are colleges out there that would then manipulate their class size. If they had just a few classes of 21 or 22, then they, we would make some adjustments. And um, then most of your classes are under 19. Um, admit rate in many ways also was a part of that. And those two factors have been removed from US News and World Report and replaced by other, other key factors. So, um, you know, so I, I do think it gives the market and, and families and college counselors, you know, maybe in some ways a starting point of where to look, but one of the beautiful things about more college data, and if you think about the college finder list, if you've got a family who's interested and willing to maybe look beyond the most typical brand name institutions, those that, that everyone knows, um, and maybe they aren't as concerned about rankings that they may in fact then be willing to find the most appropriate fit for them um, outside of the rankings you know, to me, that's what this is all about, um, helping students and families make good decisions and find the right fit. Um, now, not to say that rankings aren't important. You know, there, there are some, some things that can be, can be gleaned from them and learned from them. But at the end of the day, um, I, I do think we need to be viewing rankings with eyes wide open. I think, and I know in my practice, it has become pretty clear that with the high selectivity, even if it's the top, you know, 10 or top 100 or the IVs or whatever the most competitive schools are, is that it, the fact of the matter is, it has become so selective for these schools that it's almost not a choice for families anymore. And, and Lee, I, on an off conversation, I'd love to hear more about, you know, six or seven schools on a list. I would feel very uncomfortable doing that only because I still have so many families who are like, well, we're going to go for it. We're going to go for these schools that are highly ranked, but I'm like, well, with that selectivity, then I feel like I need to beef up what I'm doing on the other side so that I have this, the reach 
And then I have the schools that are these amazing, exciting schools that hardly anybody knows about. And then layer um, this merit. A lot of the families that we work with, yes, they're very privileged families. And so, of course, um, you know, they're, they have financial resources, but do they have $70,000 a year to pay for college? Absolutely not. And so that's where the data for me has become crucial because I can look at a family's profile and what their, their kind of EFC, and I can narrow it down pretty quick from looking at between your merit, selectivity, demonstrated interest, and like, and then, you know, all those little pieces for me, I go right in building those college lists and I am, it has sped up my process and made um, much, given much more access to many different colleges. So in a way, it's like, even if the rankings glean some sort of information, most families aren't getting access to these schools. I mean, it's kind of crazy. You know, Laura, you touched on something, whether you know it or not, that is Brad and I've discussed and I think is really important for parents and families and counselors to understand. When you're assessing um, whether or not a school should go on your list or whether you're assessing whether or not you'll probably get in or will be able to afford it, you cannot make it. It's not deductive from the data that we have. And God forbid you try to make it reductive. I mean, an admit rate to, to judge a school by an admit rate that is completely reductive. You know, one data point that doesn't have anything to do with the student in front of you. Um, what you're saying is what we've tried to provide is, you know, we want people to be able to look at all kinds of different things, you know. A lot of the data is uncomfortable. That's another reason I wanted to have somebody from the college side with me because I want to make sure I'm not putting stuff out there that's wrong, you know. Um, but yeah, there's uh, Brad's uh, pulling a cup up a couple of visualizations, but you know, you just want to be able to look at. It's, I was talking about uncomfortable data. Um, you know, there are, as you know, Laura, a lot of schools schools out there that don't give any non-need-based aid. And, you know, you, you when you're talking to a family who really doesn't or can't, doesn't want to, can't whatever pay, I think we're at 89 now is, is the high water mark on price right now. You know, 89 a year. Um, you know, there's just all kinds of things to take into consideration. And so we try to, I will say that there's too much data and there's way too much data. It, with artificial intelligence is only making it worse. Probably the hardest part of my job is deciding what goes in the set <laughs> um, because I can't make everybody happy all the time, but I try to come up with the tools and the metrics that'll serve the most, most people. Brad, you know, this, what you put together here visually is beautiful. I'm wondering if you could kind of do just an overview for us um, and speak um, speak to it for our listeners who aren't going to be watching the, the rerun of, of this, uh, because it really is just absolutely beautiful. So let's, is there a way for you to do that? Sure. And, and just real quick, this is this is the college finder and, and this is all of Lee's blood, sweat and tears for 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 a very long time. And in our partner short partnership, we've been able to, you know, kind of make some adjustments for this to be 
um, a, li a little bit more user friendly and intuitive to our users. And this is just a particular example of one of the tools. It's called College Finder. It's just a quick screenshot. Um, if we had more space, um, this would show you um, also then admissibility and affordability, um, different factors and filters that can go into place. So this would be a tool that you could use um, with a client or um, as a family could sit around and you could think about location and major and size and um, where it gets very intuitive and where the data really starts to speak. And again, that macro data set that Lee is referencing, and it's just amazing how then this can be a tool for use is you can talk, you can be again thinking about a family's, um, you know, what, what their AGI is and what they're willing to pay and what they're able to pay. So it can help narrow down the search a little bit based on that data that's out there about um, net cost or um, average institutional grant per family, um, percentage of need met with, with total grant, um, a variety of different financial factors that go into play. You can then also, what's very neat is you can then layer on some earnings data by major, by school, um, and help kind of figure out a little bit out of an, a return on investment. And are we making a um, you know, financially sound decision. It's, uh, it's not always about finances, but um, at seventy, eighty thousand dollars um, per year, you know, there are a lot of families. You know, that's that's three hundred and fifty thousand dollars, two hundred and fifty to three hundred fifty thousand dollars, depending on the institution in four years. There's a lot of families out there that don't buy homes for that amount, and if they do, they take thirty years to to pay their mortgage. And so as I referenced and what Lee is saying, this is a gigantic financial decision and these tools um, could just be a remarkable option for, for counselors and families. And we're even crafting some, some tools for, for the college side. There's been things that I wish I would have had access to from more college data sitting in the seat that I was just a few months ago that I would have been using this tool to, to tell stories and um, talk about the landscape to board members and presidents and other VPs. Um, there's a trend feature on on more college data that would have been kind of game changing for me from the seat that I sat in just a few months ago. Wow, it's so impressive. I, you know, uh, I started just my mind started wandering to like what problems did I want to solve with your data today? Because I'm looking at all of that. You know, I have I think I haven't asked you this before. Lee, does your um, data include programs for students who have learning challenges? No, but that is a great example of something I would love to incorporate. Yeah, I we would love that just because we serve a lot of students. Just neurodiversity is just I'm so passionate about it because neurodiverse students often bring amazing things to the table. I sort through all that data um, myself right now, which is, you know, quite joyful for me. But I would love for you to add that one day. Um, I mean, is publicly. I mean, I'm just on Google, right? And then I have to dig even deeper in by reaching out to each of the programs. We have our own spreadsheets we've created, so I'm happy to share them with you. By the way, if that would help in any way, <laughs> we'll <laughs> to move it to move it move it along. Um, let's see. One other question. Um, you know, this, I'm not sure if you guys can answer this or not either, but this has to do with this demonstrated interest topic. This is something that makes me crazy. Each of our students, when we, you know, onboard them, we talk right away about demonstrated interest because 
looks like a pretty powerful thing ways to school some schools make decisions some schools offer it some schools don't we definitely use your data set to find out who does and who doesn't we were just going on to the individual data set and then you have to do that every year because you don't know if they're going to change their mind and then it's like we have to instruct these students to go into emails make sure they meet with their regional rep then sometimes I'll have students say, well, I don't need to reach out to the regional rep because they don't offer demonstrated, they don't have demonstrated interest. And I'm like, but still you want to reach out to the regional rep because you're curious. And I just, this makes me mad. So does anyone have, and I mean mad like crazy, <laughs> crazy. Does yeah. any, either of you have anything to say about this? Yeah, I would say whether you call it demonstrated interest or affinity based admissions, um, whether a school is open about whether they use that as part of their admissions process or not, I think it's important to know the the in-depth information that colleges have at, at their fingertips. And they may or may not decide to use that and who they admit and waitlist and defer and deny. But colleges know a lot of information. Um, and, and I do think establishing a relationship early with their admission representative is, is important, um, especially um, for those schools that are higher up on the food chain with, with more selectivity, lower admit rates. Um, those are the people that are going to be sitting at the admissions table at, at committee um, going to bat for you. And if they have a relationship with you and they know you, um, that will only help you. Now, demonstrated interest in, in, you know, years ago was visiting campus and, and going to college fairs and high school visits. And, you know, from an equity and access standpoint, not all students have the chance or the opportunity to go visit a college campus, um, especially if they're looking at uh, places that are, are a further distance. And so I think what I would want our group to know and understand is the way, you know, really coming out of COVID and even many ways pre-COVID, ways in which you can signal interest, um, quote unquote, for free um, are out there. And, and you know, things that you've referenced of opening emails and responding to emails and being on the website, those are all really important, but colleges are trying that behavior. Um, there's, there's ways in which colleges can have the ability to understand how many times you're on their portal, um, your, your applicant portal, your student portal, um, what that scope of timeline looks like, at the end of the day, it's genuine engagement of what most colleges are looking for. You know, the number of applications are soaring across the country. Um, most colleges are experiencing a huge boom in applications and trying to figure out who, who do we admit? You know, obviously on the academic side, um, GPA, strength of curriculum, test scores, but you also then have, you know, kind of the, the essays and the, the leadership and the service component of it. And then, you know, I would honestly say that some type of affinity uh, is going to be very, very important, especially if there's a deferred situation, if a student is deferred from early action to regular decision, most likely that has um, some type of aspect of affinity um, or kind of a grade reduction of, of sorts where they might want to see the seventh semester transcript or something like that. But I, I think it's important to know and recognize whether a college openly says we use this in the admissions of pro process or not. Set aside, they have access to that information and they know a lot about you. Laura, I would, I would only add to that when you were talking about the length of the list, the college list. One of the reasons, and 
as you know, I'm not taking students anymore, but um, I have, uh, gosh, I mean, a very small handful left in my practice, but I tell them, you know, the number of colleges that goes on your list, it turns into a part-time job. I mean, and at the risk of sounding like you want them to play a game, you know, if they're interested enough to apply to a school, they better be interested enough to, you know, be attentive to all the communications. Um, and, um, you know, it's, I, I wish it weren't that way. Um, but, they, but yeah, I mean, I think Brad's telling us a lot. It sounds like the, the summary of what we're talking about is that if we know the data from these schools that you pull from the common data set, that that information can drastically inform a college list in a way that helps counselors and families create balanced list in the context of finances, selectivity, demonstrated interest, one day learning, disabilities, <laughs> and, um, and really allows for families to create those balanced lists in a way that then the students can then target those schools. And in our belief is to get out of the game of achievement, chaos, toxicity of college admissions, and to really focus on here are a balanced list of places where I can attend, where I can grow as a human, where I can contribute to my community, where I can get smarter about the things that I care about. So one day I can go into the world and be independent, make my own money and contribute as a citizen. I mean, you, your work is at the heart of, of our work as counselors and parents. So I cannot thank you both enough. And I can't wait to be a part of the growth. And I just can't say enough. Laura, we love what you're doing with your community too. I mean, it. I would do anything in the world to help you. I, you know, yes, we want to, it's funny, but I think we're all sort of warm, fuzzy people. Um, and it's sort of funny that data can help us you know, I don't know, keep the negative emotions out and, and kind of help us figure out what we're for, what we want. You know, in the end, it's it's about like, this is just what is so. This is, these are the, this is the fact so we can be upset about it. Let's be upset about it, but then let's get over being upset and then let's move on, right? Because these are the choices we have based on this information. So, um, well, we are done for the day. I promised my community 30 minutes and we did it, and I think we did a beautiful job. I so much gratitude, and um, I look forward to doing this again. Awesome, Laura. Thank you so much. Um, great time. We're a fan. Thank you. See you later. <laughs> Bye. Bye.